Chapter Three of French Medieval Romances from the Lays of Marie de France. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Alison Valdes. French Medieval Romances from the Lays of Marie de France by Marie de France. Translated by Eugene Mason. Chapter Three. THE LAY OF THE DOLOROUS KNIGHT Hearken now to the lay that once I heard a minstrel chanting to his harp. In surety of its truth I will name the city where this story passed. The lay of the dolorous knight my harper called his song, but of those who hearkened some named it rather the lay of the four sorrows. In Nantes of Brittany there dwelt a dame who was dearly held of all, for reason of the much good that was found in her. This lady was passing fair of body, apt in book as any clerk, and neatly schooled in every grace that it becometh dame to have. So gracious a person was this damsel, that throughout the realm there was no knight could refrain from setting his heart upon her, though he saw her but one only time. Although the demoiselle might not return the love of so many, certainly she had no wish to slay them all. Better by far that a man pray and require in love all the dames of his country than run mad in woods for the bright eyes of one. Therefore this dame gave curtsy and sweet will to each alike. Even when she might not hear a lover's words, so sweetly she denied his wish, that the more he held her dear and was the more her servant for that fond denial. So because of her great riches of body and of heart, this lady, of whom I tell, was prayed and required in love, by the lords of her country, both by night and by day. Now in Brittany lived four young barons, but their names I cannot tell. It is enough that they were desirable in the eyes of maidens, for reason of their beauty, and that men esteemed them, because they were courteous of manner and open of hand. Moreover they were stout and hardy knights amongst the spears, and rich and worthy gentlemen of those very parts. Each of these four knights had set his heart upon the lady, and for love of her pained himself mightily, and did all that he was able, so that by any means he might gain her favour. Each prayed her privily for her love, and strove all that he could to make him worthy of the gift above his fellows. For her part the lady was sore perplexed, and considered in her mind very earnestly which of these four knights she should take as friend. But since they were all loyal and worthy gentlemen, she durst not choose amongst them, for she would not slay three lovers with her hand, so that one might have content. Therefore to each and all the dame made herself fair and sweet of semblance. Gifts she gave to all alike, tender messages she sent to each. Every knight deemed himself esteemed and favoured above his fellows, and by soft words and fair service diligently strove to please. When the knights gathered together for the games, each of these lords contended earnestly for the prize, so that he might be first, and draw on him the favour of his dame. Each held her for his friend, each bore upon him her gift, pennon or sleeve or ring, each cried her name within the lists. Now when Eastertide was come, a great tournament was proclaimed to be held beyond the walls of Nantes, that rich city. The four lovers were the appellants in this tourney and from every realm knights rode to break a lance in honour of their dame, Frenchmen, and Norman, and Fleming, the hardiest knights of Brabant, Bologna, and Anjou, each came to do his devoir in the field. 
nor was the chivalry of Nantes backward in this quarrel, but till the vespers of the tournament was come, they stayed themselves within the lists, and struck stoutly for their lord. After the four lovers had laced their harness upon them, they issued forth from the city, followed by the knights who were of their company in this adventure. But upon the four fell the burden of the day, for they were known of all by the embroidered arms upon their circuit, and the device fashioned on the shield. Now against the four lovers arrayed themselves four other knights, armed altogether in coats of mail, and helmets, and gauntlets of steel. Of these stranger knights, two were of Hanholt, and the two others were Flemings. When the four lovers saw their adversaries prepare themselves for the combat, they had little desire to flee, but hastened to join them in battle. Each lowered his spear, and choosing his enemy, met him so eagerly that all men wondered, for horse and man fell to the earth. Four lovers recked little of their destriers, but freeing their feet from the stirrups, bent over the fallen foe, and called on him to yield. When the friends of the vanquished knights saw their case, they hastened to their succour. So for their rescue there was a great press, and many a mighty stroke with the sword. The damsel stood upon a tower to watch these feats of arms. By their blazoned coats and shields she knew her knights. She saw their marvellous deeds, yet might not say who did best, nor give to one the praise. But the tournament was no longer a seemly and ordered battle. The ranks of the two companies were confused together, so that every man fought against his fellow, and none might tell whether he struck his comrade or his foe. The four lovers did well and worshipfully, so that all men deemed them worthy of the prize. But when evening was come, and the sport drew to its close, their courage led them to folly. Having ventured too far from their companions, they were set upon by their adversaries, and assailed so fiercely that three were slain outright. As to the fourth, he yet lived, but altogether mauled and shaken, for his thigh was broken, and a spearhead remained in his side. The four bodies were fallen on the field, and lay with those who had perished in that day. But because of the great mischief these four lovers had done their adversaries, their shields were cast spitefully without the lists. But in this their foemen did wrongfully, and all men held them in sore displeasure. Great were the lamentation and the cry when the news of this mischance was noised about the city. Such a tumult of mourning was never before heard, for the whole city was moved. All men hastened forth to the place where the lists were set. Meetly to mourn the dead, there rode nigh upon two thousand knights, with hauberks unlaced and uncovered heads plucking upon their beards. So the four lovers were placed each upon his shield, and being brought back in honour to Nantes, were carried to the house of that dame whom so greatly they had loved. When the lady knew this distressful adventure, straightway she fell to the ground. Being returned from her swoon, she made her complaint, calling upon her lovers each by his name. "'Alas!' said she, "'what shall I do, for never shall I know happiness again? These four knights had set their hearts upon me, and despite their great treasure esteemed my love as richer than all their wealth. Alas for the fair and valiant knight! Alas for the loyal and generous man! By gifts such as these they sought to gain my favour. But how might lady bereave three of life so as to cherish one? Even now I cannot tell for whom I have most pity, or who was closest to my mind. But three are dead, and one is sore-stricken. Neither is there anything in the world which can bring me comfort. Only this is there to do, to give the slain men seemly burial, and, if it may be, to heal their comrade of his wounds. So, because of her great love and nobleness, 
the lady caused these three distressful knights to be buried well and worshipfully in a rich abbey. In that place she offered their mass penny, and gave rich offerings of silver and of lights besides. May God have mercy on them in that day. As for the wounded knight, she commanded him to be carried to her own chamber. She sent for surgeons, and gave him into their hands. They searched his wounds so skilfully and tended him with so great care that presently his hurt commenced to heal. Very often was that lady in the chamber, and very tenderly she cherished the stricken man. Yet ever she felt pity for the three knights of the sorrows, and ever she went heavily by reason of their deaths. Now on the summer's day the lady and the knight sat together after meat. She called to mind the sorrow that was hers, so that, in a space, her head fell upon her breast, and she gave herself altogether to her grief. The knight looked earnestly upon his dame, while he might see that she was far away, and clearly he perceived the cause. Lady, said he, you are in sorrow. Open now your grief to me. If you tell me what is in your heart, perchance I may find you comfort. Fair friend, replied she, I think of what is gone, and remember your companions who are dead. Never was lady of my peerage, however fair and good and gracious, ever loved by four such valiant gentlemen, nor ever lost them in one single day, save you, who were so maimed and in such peril. All are gone. Therefore I call to mind those who loved me so dearly, and am the saddest lady beneath the sun. To remember these things, of you four I shall make a lay, and will call it the lay of the four sorrows. When the knight heard these words, he made answer very swiftly, Lady, name it not the lay of the four sorrows, but rather the lay of the dolorous knight. Would you hear the reason why it should bear this name? My three comrades have finished their course. They have nothing more to hope of their life. They are gone, and with them the pang of their great sorrow, and the knowledge of their enduring love for you. I alone had come, all amazed and fearful, from the net wherein they were taken, but I find my life more bitter than my comrades found the grave. I see you on your goings and comings about the house. I may speak with you both matins and vespers, but no other joy do I get, neither clasp nor kiss, nothing but a few empty courteous words. Since all these evils are come upon me because of you, I choose death rather than life. For this reason, your lay should bear my name, and be called the lay of the dolorous knight. He who would name it the lay of the four sorrows would name it wrongly, and not according to the truth. By my faith, replied the lady, this is a fair saying. So shall the song be known as the lay of the dolorous knight. Thus was the lay conceived, made perfect, and brought to a fair birth. For this reason it came by its name, though to this day some call it the Lay of the Four Sorrows. Either name befits it well, for the story tells of both these matters, but it is the use and wont in this land to call it the Lay of the Dolorous Night. Here it ends. No more is there to say. I heard no more, and nothing more I know. Perforce I bring my story to a close. End of chapter 3